have to base Simon base the second paragraph in first Perik Aleph of Der Hashem. And we started discussing last time um, about <coughs> we started discussing that the Ramchal says one has to know this being his no one can grasp no human can grasp him the only thing we can know that he's totally perfect with no deficiency we see in the Ramchal that there's a tremendous distance between ourselves and the Creator. The Ramchal emphasizes that in terms of intellectually in terms of intellectually we have no ability to grasp the essence of Hashem. In other words, intellectually we have to by implication have a awareness of the smallness of our of what we can really can really grasp we 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 limited we're very limited we're limited in terms of our thinking in time and space and logical constructs and therefore the whole intellectual paraphernalia is it has its limitations there's a point where it just stops working when it comes to your brain it stops working a long 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 time before you get there that's, that's the first thing one has to know. But the only thing we can know about the Rebbein Sha'ilam is that whatever perfection is, that's what it is. Whatever, there's no deficiency, there's nothing lacking, there's perfection beyond perfection. Now what we started to perhaps infer from this is that, well, when I look at myself, how do I look at myself? So there's also, this is where, let's say, coming into confrontation with the humanity of my being. By implication, I can't grasp the Rebbein Sha'ilam, so I see the limitations of my intellectual capacities. And the Rebbein Sha'ilam is perfect beyond all perfection, and I realize that I'm frail and faltered. Now those realizations are crucial and healthy. And running away from our frailties and fallibilities is a dangerous occupation. Because what it does is, it distorts and dislocates ourselves from who we really are. Rule number one of being a human being is realizing that you're not perfect. Not being perfect means that you've got this whole range of bad stuff inside of you. Big, gunky, ugly, mushy, gooey, ichsa, pichsa, fuchsa stuff. Bad midas, there's gaiva, there's taiva. There's cars. There's all these horrible, like, midas, these terrible traits, which when you smell them, they stink. I would say to high heaven, but a pro, probably, probably more pro would be to lowest hell. They like they verstunkende Sachen. They say in Yiddish. And you can hear, when you say the word verstunkende, you can hear that it's stinky. You can hear it from the, from the, from the, from the sound of the word. It sounds like a stinky thing. 
So we've got the stuff inside of us. What do you do with it? What are you like walking around with this like this? It's like walking around with guck inside of you. How do you deal with that? And and on the one hand, so you want to run away from it. Of course you want to run away. Who wants to sit and look at ugly stuff? Why do you think people close the door when they go to the bathroom? What do you mean? You people don't know where you are? They don't know what you're doing? Believe me, they know exactly what's going on. So what are you hiding? That's oh, not nice. You don't want people to see it. You don't realize it's 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 embarrassing to have your have your dirtiness exposed. So how do you deal with it? How do we deal with it? How do we carry that burden around with us? And on, on the other hand, it's, it's it's not a it's not you can't avoid it. Otherwise, you people you try avoid it, and then and then your whole being becomes this real impenetrable false existence where. You meet people who are trying to be perfect and they, they're not willing to let you in to see their frailties and it, you, you feel uncomfortable. First of all, you feel like there's no one else. They're the person you feel that they're not present in the room because everything is, is, is evading and you, you can't say anything because they're so insecure about opening up even one tiny little bit that they have to say everything so everything works out fine and, and, and nothing's a fault with me and it's all this... And, it's so uncomfortable. The, the dynamic is so uncomfortable because I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. I have to maintain this per, this presentation of perfection. Everyone knows we faltered. Just just say to me, you you you're selfish. I'm selfish. Say I'm selfish. No, I'm happy to say I'm selfish. It's an issue I have. It's an issue I'm selfish. I, if I would start talking about my mad bad metas, we'd, we'd run out of time. Run out of time. But I mean, I've got like loads. I'm mean, again. I don't have to tell you. You see them, but well. But, Selfish and arrogant, and the works, all of them, all of them, then all of them. The better you get to know me, the more you'll see them come out. So, what do I do? But I'm pretty happy. So now it becomes tricky because, well, if you're happy, so then you can just kind of. So, what do you do? Just wallow in them? Just wallow in them? So, this is a really important story. And even though I've got all these bad traits, I'm really good at telling stories. No, actually, I'm not sure. But we'll see. Let me tell the story and see how it goes. Once upon a time, in a place far, far away, perched upon a hilltop, from miles away you could see it, silhouetted against the summer sky, there was a majestic castle. This castle was no ordinary castle. No bricks were in its walls, each and every barrier, wall, surface, fence was finely carved, exquisite Italian marble. It shimmered in the sun, in fact, as you came closer, giving all this, this eerie, fascinating, mysterious glow. And as you come with, with me into the, into the castle and start to ascend those palatial steps towards the throne room, your heart starts to beat as you get closer. Long corridors. Fire burning on either side to illuminate those dark halls. And soldiers standing poised as if they were statues, spears by their sides, razor sharp, seeing the glint reflecting the flames of the torches which light up those halls. And as you get closer and closer to the throne room and you see the soldiers standing 
swords crossed blocking the entrance but you have permission to enter the person accompanying you is an advisor to the king and as they see him advancing towards them the soldiers with lightning speed remove their swords from blocking the entrance and the doors are pushed open gigantic huge oak doors and there in front of you sits the king his crown breathtaking platinum sapphires rubies adorned and placed with perfection and aesthetic ease and you stand there looking at the king barely able to speak and the king his right hand placed carelessly on his scepter nods with his head and beckons you to come forward trepidation small uncertain steps you get closer and closer and the king says sir what is your task why do you come before me and you introduce yourself say so your highness for many years i've been the educational supervisor of the kingdom i've recently come across a school which has caused me great disturbance and anguish tell me said the king why is it the curriculum that bothers you the level of the teachers no what is it the man says sir it seems trivial but what bothers me is the uniform you came all this way sir to interrupt my running of the kingdom to comment to complain about the uniforms of a particular school in a far flung province are you out of your mind but your highness you don't understand the principal obligates his students to wear blazers fashioned from fluorescent hessian with big green polka dots luminous they shine in the dark uncomfortable are these jackets and they are obligated to wear them from the moment they set foot into school until the second they leave your highness it's an injustice the king says this does sound strange i will call in the principal and with a flick of his head two of his loyal messengers grasp what he wants and off they set upon their steeds to call in the principal of the school hours later he too comes before the king the king says you the principal of the school show me what those blazers look like and he has the principal a bag and he pulls one out and the king goes oh revolting he looks at it this is this is uncomfortable fabric the pattern is grotesque he says what are you doing telling your students obligate them to wear these clothing now the principal was a man a wise man 
and with a small glint in his eye he says, Your Highness, allow me to explain my educational technique. Go ahead. You see, Your Majesty, the limitations of this blazer wearing are only within school hours and as long as you're a student of the school. But the second the school finishes, and certainly upon the termination of a person's graduation, they are free to take this blazer and do as they choose with it. And the reason why I do this is to teach them the ultimate lesson of life. King frowns, his brows are furrowed, not knowing what the principle means. I understand not, says he. Your Majesty, we found when the pupils go to school, because of the rules, they're obligated to wear the blazer. It's because of the rules. It's because of what we impose upon them. But when you go around the students and you say to them, tell me, little Richard, are you happy wearing this blazer? Do you connect to this blazer? He'll say, no, it's only because I'm part of the school that I wear it. What would happen, little Richard, if we would say to you, you could take it off right now? You'd say, I would throw it in the garbage can. And then you'd go to another student and another one and the story would be repeated. Okay, says the king, still not getting where this is going. Now, Your Highness, what happens is occasionally, occasionally, there are children that you approach and you say, what would you do if I said that you didn't have to wear this blaze anymore? And they look at you with offended eyes and they say, but it keeps me warm. It's comfortable. It's made from hessian. For me, it's comfortable. I like the look of it. It's grotesque. I like the look of it. But it's offensive. I like the look of it. What happens then? Those children and those children that refuse to wear the blazer become the perfect analogy for the ultimate lesson in life. And you see this. And that's why, Your Highness, a week after school has finished, we call all the students back for an assembly. The end of school. They finish their final year. We call all the students back. And we pay careful attention to who returns with their blazers. Very few do. And those that do, this is what we tell them. We say, students of our school, for 12 years you wore this blazer. There are those of you who the second that school finished, you threw it from your shoulders, trampled upon it, and many who burnt it. And yet today there are those of you that have returned, have returned, and still wear your blazers, even though there's no obligation to do so. Students, life is a school. And there's a blazer that one has to wear to be a part of it. That blazer is called your greed, your selfishness, your low and base desires, your arrogance, your laziness, 
If those aren't part of your internal clothing, you cannot be a member of the school. You have to wear it. You didn't choose to wear it. No one asked you permission to give it to you. It's the rules. When you're born as a human, you're born with that garment on you. Because you're a human. It's part of the program. There's nothing you can do about it. You have to wear it. Why do you have to wear it? Because you have to wear it. Now the question is, how do you relate to that garment? Acknowledging it, accepting it, is a must because it's a reality. That's what you do wear. You can't take it off, otherwise you leave this world and you leave the school. You have to have it on the whole time. And the only time you leave the school of life is after you die. But, the question is, if I would come to you in the schoolyard of life, and say to you about the blaze that you're wearing, all these bad traits, all this selfishness, and I would say, do you want to continue wearing this garment? What would if I could say to you, take it off right now, discharge yourself of your greed, free yourself of your laziness, cure yourself of your arrogance, what would you say? And most people would say, if you could get rid of all that stuff, I would be overjoyed. Good. Because the minute you say that, it shows that you're just wearing those traits. But they're not a part of you. You don't own them. They don't reflect anything about yourself. They're imperative as being part of the human nature. But they don't indicate your taste, your preference. They're not you. They're not part of your essential identity. They're something that you're wearing because you have to wear it. You're obligated to wear it. But what happens if you have a person They said... Well, actually, I like, I like myself as I am. I know I'm lazy, but I enjoy sleeping in. I know I'm greedy, but I, I want to eat the food. I don't want to give it to someone else. I know I'm arrogant, but other people are stupid. So then, he has given the blazer, but he said, even though the school no longer obligates me to wear it, I'm clutching onto it. It's comfortable for me. You can't take off the garment when you're in the middle of life because that's where it is. But if someone would offer you the choice and the answer to the question of do I want to get rid of this would be yes, so the garment does not belong to you. And that's all the difference. Two people both wearing the blazer. One, it's the person. The other one, it's an obligatory uniform that has to be worn. Step number one, said the principal to the king. The king by now, he's nodding his royal head in agreement. Principle, not only should this uniform be in some far-flung province, this should be a required statute for every school in the kingdom to teach them this valued lesson. Because so often, says the king, I see people, when they see a bad trait inside of themselves, they get depressed as if they owned it. And they refuse to see it because they can't accept it. What you've taught me now is how to accept myself and not be perturbed by the fact that I see that there's bad inside of myself because I realize it's not me, it's something I have to wear. The principal says, and your sire, your sire, if I may even go further, I would like to suggest something beyond this. Go ahead, wise man, says now the king. Your majesty, not only are these bad traits an encumbrance that we have to lag around with us? 
But in fact, their very essence has a liberating quality. Liberating, said the king. Why? Restricting. Being selfish is liberating. Oh yes, your highness. Let's imagine what would have happened if we were created without this array of negativity. And we'd been born, been born into this world. Free of greed, free of laziness, free of selfishness. What would we be? The king thinks and he says, you mean we'd be instinctively purely good? Mm-hmm. Would you ever have a choice to do anything wrong? No. So you mean your life would be essentially, essentially meaningless because there's nothing you could ever do. There's no important decision you could ever make. You'd be a holy animal, wouldn't you? You're right, said the king. You'd be a holy animal. You'd be an angel, you mean. That's right. Chayot, as they say in Hebrew, is a state of angelic being. Well, I didn't know you were well-versed in Jewish texts, said the king to the principal. Well, spare time, said the principal back. Um, the, this is where it comes out, says the principal, when you have that garment and you have those negative traits, not only is it uncomfortable, step number one is realizing that's not who you are. Step number two is realizing it can act as a catalyst to reveal who you really are. How so? Think about it this way, said the principal back to the king. You've got an inclination towards kindness. Had you not had any obstructions, you'd been born with it, it wouldn't have been you, it would have been programmed, it would have been instinctive. But now, the inclination towards kindness is obstructed by greed. Yes, you want to make someone else happy, but you'd rather eat the food yourself. So now you're faced with a conflict. What happens when you overcome the conflict? You become kind. Not someone else programming it into you. You make a choice. And in that choice you reveal yourself. What happens when you're confronted by you want to. You want to be active. You want to engage in life. But you're struck with laziness. And then you overcome it. You become enthusiastic. It's not programmed. It's a choice. And each and one of these negative traits is not only an encumbrance and inconvenience, it's a weight that you lift to build a muscle of self. It's a hurdle that you jump which makes you airborne for that moment. Every one of your negative traits is an asset for personal transformation. Everything bad about you is there to facilitate an even greater good. The king started to smile. And you could think, this wise, you could see this wise man was thinking and thinking. And all of a sudden, his eyes lit up and he stood up from his throne and he said, Yes! As he thought about the king in his own personal struggles, his life and the way that showed up and his struggles and the way that overcome them, and he repeated the words to himself, The bad makes good. The bad makes good. Yes. And then he said, you mean, when I look inside of myself and I see all this negativity, it's a challenge. It's an arrow pointing in the direction 
of further creativity, of triumph, of victory, of strength. Therefore, I can look at it. I can see it. I don't have to hide myself in shame when the ugly part of self rears its head. I can say, hmm, that's interesting. I noticed how arrogant I was being and how that was removing me from the sensitivity I could have shown to him. Next time I'm in that interaction, I'm going to be aware of that arrogance and I'm going to overcome it and be sensitive. And he gets into the interaction again because now his, his, his arrogance is transparent. It's in front of his very eyes and he's about to think some demeaning thought about the person. He thinks, remember you're sensitive. Remember you're sensitive. Yes. And then he sees the person from a different light. But there was a split second when he couldn't have, he could have gone the other way. And he made that choice. Now that sensitivity belongs to him. Another little part of himself, another little spark of being has shone through the outer coating of life. The king, deeply moved, sat down back on his throne and with just a gesture, two of his servants presented the principal the golden sword. Treasure this, said the king to the principal, for that sword has sliced away years of negative relationship with negativity. With that sword, you've cut away the obstructions to the revelation of myself. And as that sword, in its sharp, shining way, let it be an instrument in your hand for further advancement of the realm and our kingdom. And with a bow, the principal exited from the room. The soldiers crossed their swords and he made his way back to his humble school in the far-flung province. The palatial steps, a distant memory, the purpose and sense of being and honesty remained with him and his students forever. Not a bad story, eh? It's a good story. I thought it was a good story. Huh? I think I had to. No? Bad story. Yeah, there's stories, right? I think that was. Okay. In other words, not only does one not need to flee your imperfections, you can embrace them. Embrace them because they're your tools of growth. Try to grow without imperfections. I've never been given that challenge. Try to become more enthusiastic when you don't have any laziness to combat it. You can't, you can't. You, just, you are. It is. Try to become enthusiastic when you can't get out of bed in the morning. Out of the mo- and then, one day, two days, and, you're, and then eventually, you're a person that doesn't sleep in night. It's yours. It's exciting. Life is vibrant. It's vital. Change. How do you measure life? If you want to measure the quality of life, how, what kind of yardstick do you use? The amount of change contained in every second is the degree to which you can measure life. More change, more life. Less change, more death. Death, 
once in my wayward, misspent youth, um, there was a particular... It was a form of entertainment projected upon a large surface of white and moving pictures. They weren't, they weren't moving until you actually sped them up on a reel. And there was a particular moving picture called was something and um, they had a scene in this movie it was a comedy of course a person phoning a hospital to find out about the welfare of a friend of his so picks up the phone and he says I'd just like to find out about um, how is John doing mm-hmm uh-huh okay uh-huh. I understand would you please let me know if there's um, any change in his condition Yes, yes, okay, thank you. And then someone else sitting in the, pers- in the room with the person just put down the phone and said, how are they doing? He said, dead. It's a joke. It's funny because dead people don't change. If you want to know if someone's dead, see if they change. If they don't change, they don't move, they don't move, they don't change location, they just like lie there for long periods of time not doing anything, and they stop breathing, so that's, that's a kind of a clue that they're probably dead. Um, people are alive are always changing, stuff's happening. So if you want to measure life, you, ju- you actually use change to measure life. That's what you use. When you feel alive, when you embrace your bad medicine and you look upon them as hurdles that you have to overcome, then life becomes engaging and you can look deep inside yourself and see all the muck and go, one obstacle course. This is really exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait for this day because I'm going to go and he's going to say this to me. I'm going to be want to be furious and he rip off his head and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just go and say, breathe. I'm going to go, and then tomorrow I'm not going to even have the challenge. It's going to be amazing life. Oh, so exciting. Thank you, bad midas. Thank you. Ramchal says, you have to realize Rebbein Shalom has got no problems, no issues. You do. That's great. That's great. That's great. In the ultimate picture, imagine, imagine if you succeed. So if you succeed, then what happens is you can take off the blazer if you've earned it yourself. You can take it off. You've used it for transformation. What happens is those, all those things, once they become utilized, they become used up and then they disappear. And then what happens? Then you get a section of the perfection of the Creator. But that's not the starting point. That's the end point. Um, okay. I think that's a good place to stop. And that's Simon Bates in the Ramchal. Thank you.